Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Beers with Engineers podcast, where we try to serve up a pint of fun with a shot of Geek Chaser. This is episode number eight, and today my guest is Mike Barku. This episode is sponsored by my company, Dexterity Engineering. You wouldn't believe how much I give myself from this little plug. Anyways, please check out my website, dexterityeng.com, and learn about my background in medical device design and product design in general. I'd love to help you make your product hit the market. The title of this episode is Giving Your Wife Auto Parts for Christmas. Yes, Mike gave his wife auto parts for Christmas. And there was something she wanted, if you can believe that. You'll find out why. Mike works at Boston Engineering in Waltham, Massachusetts. They do a variety of things there, including a robotic tuna. Mike also shares some good advice for co-op work assignments and finding a job you love. Oh, and we also talk about pterodactyls. How can you resist that? You can't. So let's get to the conversation. My guest today is Mike Marcou. Mike, thanks for taking the time this afternoon. How are you doing today? Good. Good. Thanks, Bert. And uh, you have learned that the day after Christmas is a bad day to go to a tire store, I understand. True. That's correct. Very true. All right. So I met Mike a little over 10 years ago. I was uh, contracting at the company where he worked and still works, which is Boston Engineering in Waltham, Massachusetts. If you've ever heard of the 128 Tech Corridor outside of Boston, they are in the heart of it. Uh, A good golfer could probably drive a ball over that highway from their parking lot. Uh, And in the last couple of years, we worked together on a couple of projects, both of them medical devices. Uh, A little bit about Mike himself. Uh, A colleague told me a good description of him not too long ago, which, if my memory is correct, is something Mike agrees with. And that is, I'm going on a limb here, that he looks like a big teddy bear. Uh-huh. Is that a true yes. statement, or does this podcast just get off on a really awkward foot? No, no, no. I I, I agree. I can't remember who said that, but I'm oh, I'm, I'm sure someone asked. I think it was Steve Drake. Remember Steve? I think they. Uh, oh wow! Guys yeah. Sometime last year. All right. So also, given that we're recording this on the day after Christmas, I might add that with a little longer beard, a little little longer, and a little grayer beard, Mike would make a fine Santa Claus. So. <laughs> So if the engineering thing ever doesn't work out for you, Mike, you've got work reliably every November and December you can count on. <laughs> I've heard that from several people. All right, very good. Well, there are far worse people to be compared to in Santa Claus. So, Absolutely. We'll let you go from that. So uh, the first task of the day is what beer are you, in fact, drinking today? Oh, I am drinking... Uh... Love and Wrestling from Mayflower Brewing. It is a double dry hopped New England IPA. The name Love and Wrestling, believe it or not, comes from one of the people on the Mayflower, actually two of them, uh, brothers, Love Brewster and Wrestling Brewster. And believe it or not, they have another beer by their sister's names, uh, Patience and Fear. So the name was wrestling. I, the name. name was wrestling. Love and wrestling are the brothers' names. Okay. The sisters' names are patience and fear, and they have another beer. I can't remember what type it is that they put out. I didn't know it. I just thought it was a fun name when I bought it. And my buddy uh, Matt, who's a aficionado of all things bourbon and beer, is like, "Do you know the origins?" And I'm like, "No." He goes, "They actually were people on the Mayflower." Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. Now is a. 
you said a New England IPA. I think I've heard of that mm. before. Is that something that's gaining popularity outside of New England, or is it just any idea on that? You know, I've seen a lot more uh, breweries in and out of New England start to make the um, New England-style okay. uh, IPAs. They're a little bit a little bit more cloudy. Um, they don't have sort of that, that copperish bite to it that some of the traditional IPAs have. Mm. Um, they're pretty good. Double dry hopped is, 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 is really smooth. That's when they add in, uh, the, the, the dry hops during the fermentation process, I believe. Um, I think they can do also do wet hopping where they do it. Um, uh, fresh hops they add in. All right. Interesting. Yeah. It, uh, yeah, that, that brewing science and art and maybe a couple other things as well. I have some friends that uh, are engineering colleagues. They 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 tend to follow Frank uh, brew beer for a while. There's a couple other people at, at work that was brewing beer for a while. Um, but it seems like it, it seems a lot of engineers I know fall into into either carpentry or brewing or maybe sometimes. <laughs> all right, all right, that sounds good. All right, and uh, the other way we try to start off this podcast is an engineering-related joke. Do you have a joke for us today, Mike? I do. So, um, uh, three engineers are riding in a car, and it goes downhill, and it crashes. Um, and the mechanical engineer is, um, oh, it might be the brakes. I'll get out and check. Um the electrical engineer is like, well, maybe it's an electrical problem or a sensor problem. I can... I can get underneath the car and maybe give a look. And then the software engineer says, hmm, let's push it up the hill and try again. <laughs> uh, I've heard that one, variation on that. I thought there was something, oh. I think there's a variation on that joke where, well, let's roll up all the windows and try again or something like that. Yeah, something. I heard another one that was my backup was um, uh, a wife asked her, uh, her programming uh, husband, you know, would you go to the shop and pick up a, a loaf of bread? If they have eggs, get a dozen. And he comes back with a dozen loaves of bread and says they have eggs. <laughs> that could be an engineer and or a, uh, a programmer as well. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So very good. So we've got uh, those two details out of the way. All right. So you're an engineer. Tell me a little bit about why you became an engineer and interesting stories on Deciding to become an engineer. Um, you know, it, it's it's funny. There's the um, there's the old uh, joke of, or the old common thread of, you know, you play with Lego as a kid and you start to get into like building and constructing things. My grandfather was uh, a machinist when he came back from World War II for a bit. I know he was always uh, had had blueprints spread out all over the. The, the dining room table when I was over there on, on weekends and I got interested in that sort of end, uh, end of it. And sort of you tell me some, some stuff about the stuff he could that he was working on and fabricating. And then I just decided like, yeah, I'm going to give this a, a go. Liked, uh, you know, math and physics in, in high school. And it was my physics teacher who had gotten his master's at WPI who said, you know, you should, you should look at WPI for engineering, you know, maybe uh, mechanical or something might be your colleague. So um, I also did some drafting classes in high school and tend to like that part of it on a drawing border pre AutoCAD. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, they're done that. And, yeah. It, I remember my senior year, they, they got AutoCAD and I did an independent study to teach myself that. But so went to WPI, uh, majored in mechanical engineering. Um, so that kind of like, kind of just drew me in. I, 
it was easier for me to kind of understand things if I could visualize them uh, in my mind or, or see them. I could comprehend it. Electrical was a little bit too hard because uh, it was uh, a lot of theoretical. I couldn't visualize it as much. Yeah, people pushed me away from civil engineering. Yeah, I'm, I'm not sure if you said it. WPI is Worcester Polytechnic Institute, which is yes. in uh, Worcester, Mass. And now you mentioned the Legos because I look back at my childhood and I don't see a whole lot pointing me towards engineering. But I guess I enjoy playing with Legos and blocks, so that's eh, a bit of something. A bit of something. Yeah. All right. Very good. So cheating and taking a peek at your LinkedIn profile. Uh, I spent most of your time at Boston Engineering, which is, <clears> as we said, where we met. Uh, your previous job seemed to be, what was uh, automation or Brooks something, Brooks Automation. Right? And that was yeah. doing automation for other customers, I assume? Yeah, that was, uh, so Brooks was a, was a great first job. Um, started there, I think no, November after, or July after I graduated. So they did, when I joined, they were like 250, 300 people, all semiconductor automation equipment. Most of it, um, vacuum, uh, cluster tools and robotics, load locks. Since then they've grown and, and, yep. and really uh, uh, spread out across the whole industry. But it was a great learning tool to learn how to um, design in sort of the, the, the medium uh, space in terms of, hey, it's all specialty equipment. Most of it's all CNC machine parts. Get a good background in automation, custom designing of uh, frameless motors into robotic systems. Get a really like compact, high reliability, high accuracy. Learned a lot from a lot of great engineers. But a semiconductor is just pretty, a little bit volatile, you know, it was up and down. Yeah. Um, so we were there hiring or firing. And then after four and a half years and five bosses later, I'm like, I should, I should get out and try something else. And, uh, in my infinite wisdom, uh, at the age of, uh, you know, 27, 28, I'm like, Oh, I'll go to work for a consulting firm. And, you know, maybe I'll find an industry or a customer I kind of like, and, and I'll, I'll pursue that. Cause I didn't know. Okay. What I so that's. So that was kind of a door into something else as an intermediate yeah. position, potentially. Okay. Yeah. So I was just like, when I joined Boston engineering, I'm like, I'll stay on for two or three years. And then, you know, you get, you get introduced to a lot of other con uh, companies and, and clients, and you know, you know, that's interesting, but I don't know if I could work there for, you know, years on end, you know, so it was a, it was a good way to get some exposure, but there wasn't anything ever that I did that was, uh, Hey, I could do this forever, right. you know, or do this for a long time. Okay. Yeah. So the back up a little bit, the automation company, they dealt with mostly semiconductor fabrication. Yep. Okay. Yep. So they did a lot of, um, automation, semiconductor wafers and vacuum environments for like, uh, a lot of the processes like, uh, uh, PVD, CVD, uh, etch, um, I, don't know if they got much until some of the lithography equipment that okay. tends to be really specialty, okay. but it was, they sold robots, load locks, total tools that you could bolt your process modules up to and, 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 and place in your fab. Lots of really smart and talented engineers, um, in that industry. Do you know if they have, uh, their business has gone outside of uh, semiconductor fab and to. You know, his, yeah, his... I think they've gotten into some life science work. Oh, okay. um, I know for a while uh, they were they were they were purchasing other companies and merging them into into Brooks. Um, they kind of have grown quite a bit and taken over the whole top of uh, Elizabeth Drive mm -hmm. where they were out in Chelmsford. 
And then they, I think they even bought uh, PRI. Um, I can't remember where they were. Uh, and Bill Ricca at one point, they were like the bigger, biggest competitor, I think, for Brooks in the area. Yep. And then they also uh, absorbed like CTI cryogenics. So they had all these um, uh, turbo pumps and other semiconductor affiliated like type equipment there. Right. I think they might have spun, spun those guys off uh, on their own now. Okay. Now, it seems like everything was custom for a customer, right? It's not like uh, they got a yeah. catalog and you go, well, give me one of these. So there's maybe a cousin or related to the consulting business. Yeah, you know, that's a good way to put it. It's, um, you know, the base robotics uh, would be pretty close or similar from robot to robot. Sure. Maybe there's an interface that you change for a client, but the arm sets would be customized per each client and the end effectors would be. Yep. And even the cluster tools, you know, it, it looks like a, like a hexagon or so, but maybe like, Hey, what pumps I'm putting on there, uh, what types of sensors, how the, uh, system software works and what the, and how, what it interfaces to changes. So there, there was a fair amount of customization, you know, they, some stuff were, were like the load locks. I think that was just, it is what they were. You configure them, you know, I want to, I think at the time they were using, uh, uh, what they called AGVs, uh, automated guided vehicles, to go down like the the gray the, the the gray spaces to kind of load cassettes on and on and off into the load locks. That's when um, I think two hundred millimeter wafers were the size. When they went to three hundred, that's when I started to do a lot more design work there because they were scaling up to three hundred millimeter okay. wafers. So it was pretty exciting at the time. Yep. Oh, that's neat. That's neat. So it's interesting that you got into the consulting as a I don't know, a test market to let me try out different things. I got into it because where I was working, it seemed like we weren't doing as much engineering as I wanted. It was like, well, let's go to these consulting firms and have them do the engineering. So wait a minute, that's what I want to do. So <laughs> I guess maybe I should go work there. And yeah, I think I like it because of the variety. And, you know, it seems like that seems to putting words in your mouth. That's one reason why you're still there after 15, 20 years yeah. is it's always something different. And yeah, you know, on one hand, it's <laughs> there's some sort of little, I don't know, ego or confidence or cockiness that, Oh yeah, we can do anything. We're engineers. And uh, so far it's worked so far, you know, you don't do a lot of things more than once, but you're always sure. learning something in, you can apply it to different things in different ways. I mean, to a point, engineering is engineering. Um, yeah. Just... No, that's that's a that's a a good um, a good synopsis, and and it's um, I think the hard part is is knowing knowing sort of your your boundaries, right? Like, and we have to do mm. that now. We we don't. There's some jobs. There's like, listen, this is this is not us, right? Um, they need an expert or some good subject matter experts in this area to, to address these things. But we know what we're kind of good at and where we should play and where we shouldn't. Right. Um, and, and things to keep, keep away from. What was interesting is I think Brooks was trying to do the opposite. They were saying, listen, we're kind of, not that we're pigeonholed, but we're kind of collimated in this, this area and semiconductor. Can we, how do we start breaking out and get right. into other things? And I think they finally did it years later. Um, with sort of the life sciences and some of that automation. 
Um, but I think they might have had to uh, purchase a company and merge them in to kind of get a foot in the door there. Mm -hmm. But yeah, even even in Boston, not Boston Engineering, it's it's exactly every job's different. Yep. I think I'd only done the same job twice, and it was a scale up of something that I designed years earlier, and it was like a pendulum gate valve from 200 millimeter to like 300 millimeter uh, or larger size up. That's the only one I can think of, okay. you know, and it's and it's the good and bad part of it. Hey, this is a great job, great customer. It's going to end. Right. Well, that's also true for the bad jobs. As well. <laughs> right. Well, if, if it's the right customer, depending on the type of customer they are, you know, often a good job will result in a new job in a different part, different part of yep. their business. Um, or sometimes it's the second generation of the device that you get to work yeah. on. So Boston engineering, Maybe you should know this inventor a bit, but you have quite a wide breadth of things. You've got robotics mm -hmm. and automation and software and more traditional mechanical design, correct? Yeah. So uh, mechanical, electrical, control, software, project management. Um, we like to do project, you know, yeah. in product engineering, right? So the, the fun jobs are the ones that are multidisciplined. It's a, a new product where, where we have... Uh, a lot of ownership and sort of the design. Mm -hmm. Those are the ones that are, are, are a lot of fun and, and the good teams to be on. We do have customers though that only know us from electrical design or might sure. only know us from software work. Yep. And, I, and I was talking to somebody in the office just last week. Like, you know, we've been working for this customer for a while doing all this electrical design work for them. I'm like, oh, you guys can do mechanical too? And it's like, are you serious? Of course we can. You know, you gotta talk, you gotta um, talk to sales guys about that one. Yeah, you know, it's um, it's it, it's funny sometimes. Like, I, I think we 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 build into even our proposals like a mini slide deck of capabilities. Mm -hmm. um, and sometimes I think you know that stuff just gets glossed over. You know, because right, right, it, it looks like it's boilerplate, but it's really not. A lot of those case studies we pull in there and examples are like targeted towards you know this business. Yep. Yep. So how many years at Boston Engineering now? It's oh boy, uh, I just passed twenty four in November. That long. Okay, that's it's a, been that long. long. To the right, yeah. who there has been there? There's not many people there that have been there longer than you, I'd imagine. So, so Frank's got me by a couple months, and I think uh, the guy who's our our head of the PMO is has has Frank by a couple months. Okay, and then the owners so. have obviously been there yeah. longer. Right. Yeah. What's a, a very long-term project that you've a had? Very long-term? Yeah. Oh boy. So on the on the defense and security side, they might get a a, a job that's like it might be a multi-year effort. Okay. Maybe it's like low burn rate. I would say on the traditional uh, services and product development side, a long one could be like a year, year and a half. Okay. Um I would say year and a half is probably like 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 that's that's long for a lot of product development. Right. But if it's if it's a large system, and there's uh, some big procurement cycles in there, and you're doing like a big uh, phase two to de-risk some parts of it, um, that can go on for a while. Yeah, yeah. So the so Boston Engineering, I will uh, not to be confused with what people may be familiar with, Boston Dynamics, which they make the uh, that dog and I don't know if there's other things. Yep, run around. We get that a lot. Yeah, I figured as much. So I just figured I'd clarify that for people up front. 
But what you guys have done that is very cool is the was it the swimming tuna, correct? Yes. What can you yes. Say? So that's that's an interesting story. So for years, I think we've been trying to break into the SBB, SBIR, the SCTR market. And, Excuse you know, me. just doing uh, All right. We're, you're throwing out uh, that Small military. business innovations and research okay. is SBIR. SCTR, I can never remember. Okay. So what the government actually does that's smart, or one of the things they do that's smart, is they have these niche problems or maybe like these problems that, hey, listen, uh, a BAE or Raytheon is not going to be, they could do this, but it's going to take them 10 years and they're going to want like a, a ton of cash to do it. So what they do is they have these small solicitations for um, the initial sum for the phase one right. isn't a lot. Um, but they're niche problems and they're usually like very forward looking technology problems that maybe the small medium business market could, could, uh, do cause we can innovate quickly. We can adapt quickly, We're a little bit more risk tolerant. So they seed you this money to say, what do you think you could do to solve this? And you kind of like, Hey, this is how we attack this in a phase one. And then if you make it to the next stage, you know, that could be upwards half a million or more mm -hmm. for phase two, you kind of get into the, uh, the prototyping side of it and come up with that breadboard, kind of show feasibility and say, Hey, this, this has some legs and it kind of goes from there. What the government's doing is trying to seed businesses to make products for them that aren't, you know, these larger, uh, you know, tier one defense, right. uh, providers, right. you know, and the problems are usually a lot more niche. And, um, things that like, Hey, this is a, a problem, but we're not going to get anybody to solve this. That's like from a larger type company. Right. right. Okay. So that's how that one started. It was, uh, Oh, so that's right. <laughs> so we're trying to get in the SBI market. We, we, we've written some proposals, um, didn't really land any of them. And then I think it was like early mid two thousands. Um, we pulled on somebody from, um, Foster Miller, who had experience, helped to write and, and land one of our first um, SBIRs, and that was for uh, the fish. And the original solicitation, I think, was for a small riverine uh, reconnaissance type vehicle, something that could be maneuverable, could be stealthy, could go and do these missions. And I don't know what the missions were, but um, we came up with the idea of a, of a tuna because you know, for its muscle mass, it's able to achieve speeds. It shouldn't because it uses those lateral line sensors to sense changes in, in uh, temperature or whatever in the water and kind of uses that to help it swim fast. Didn't have a uh, traditional propeller motor on it right. and swims like a fish. Could very maneuverable, could turn the body length. Um, it's since grown and evolved since then, yeah. but that was the first one, you know, and that started off now termed R&D group that uh, really plays a lot in that space. A lot of underwater type uh, projects and devices. Um, there's a lot of guys on the team that are well known um, uh, in the UV type industry uh, for their, their, their kind of skill and knowledge. So kind of built a really good team there. So that was a pretty long term project too, wasn't it? A couple, three more years? Yeah. And it's, and it's still going on. Um, I think the original solicitation was Office Enable Research. Uh, DHS wanted a version for themselves. And I think there's still ongoing programs where they're uh, evolving and growing capabilities of it. And it's 
you know, the, the original one you could fit on a, on a bookshelf. And now the other one, you're not, new ones are so large that like, it's, it's like double the size. Okay. Like five, six feet long. That size or even bigger. Yeah, it's getting there. Right. You know, I, I never took a tape measure for yeah. it, but it, it's, it seems about right. What can you say about the use and capabilities? Well, luckily I can't say much because I don't know exact <laughs> right. numbers, but I do know it has a lot of uh, good flexibility. Okay. Meaning that like uh, there's areas where they can add a litany of different um, payloads, sensors and devices, um, you know, uh, different types of cameras or sonars or whatever, like the mission parameters kind of, kind of require, right, right. but the rest of it is like, it's, it's everything that like we're, we're, we're good at. There's good motion control. There's, um, uh, some, some interesting like mechanics in it. Okay. Um, a lot of really cool electrical work as well. So it's a good, it's a good culmination of capabilities. Right. I will, uh, be sure to put a link to some nice video that you tell me about uh, in the show notes. And nice. I would guess that the lack of a propeller and just using the tail in a traditional fish, fish swimming method was probably very, very appealing from a stealth aspect. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. And I, and I was, I would think so. A lot of the, and then there's like the whole, um, you know, biomimicry part of it as well. I think, um, I think even during one of the events that the team was doing uh demonstration of capabilities, they said like an alligator, like swam after it, you know? So oh, it's really? like, if you can, <laughs> if you can fool some of the local wildlife, right, right. um, you know, it's, yeah. it's, it's pretty interesting. Well, no, I, uh, I just, uh, <laughs> my brother, who's a retired electrical engineer, was just getting rid of a whole bunch of his books and he sent a list out and insanely organized list that even an engineer is embarrassed to show. But, <laughs> but one of them that I, I caught my eye, which he sent to me and I haven't looked at it yet. is just a book on biomimicry. No kidding. Which I think will be a quite interesting one to take a look at. You know, it's, it's funny, like every year it seems like, um, I turn around, there's something different that Festo is doing for sort of their demonstration of capabilities. And they had Who's Festo. Uh, Vesto, the pneumatics company, okay. they do, they had a, a flying bird once that did the same, uh, uh, you know, sort of, uh, flying wing pattern with the wings. They have a, uh, uh, uh elephant trunk with a gripper on the end. That's okay. pretty ambidextrous. Um, there's a couple of the ones they've done, which are like pretty, pretty impressive. Now are they, there was somebody, maybe it's them, I don't know, 10, 15 years ago was working on a flying pterodactyl. Did you ever see that one? No. And it, it was very difficult because I think it, A, it didn't have tail feathers or t a tail. Of, well, whether dinosaurs had feathers is a conversation for another day. But it's just the head was very large. And just, mm. you know, looking at the, the fossil record and this, that, and the other thing, just figuring out how it flew without a tail and that huge, enormous head. And uh, I believe they were yeah. eventually successful at it. Just... From your description, it sounds like maybe it could be the same group, but uh, don't know. You know, it, I mean, I'm, I'm sure there's some crossover there. Yeah, yeah. Um, if it's yeah, not the I, same I group, not... probably the same, at least a couple of the same engineers. <laughs> yeah. Or something tells me these people know each other. Yeah, right. Good chance. Good chance of that. So, all right. So I have said once or twice that, you know, a consulting firm is a great place for a new engineer to start out. And I think an advantage 
that Boston Engineering was having. I'm not getting paid for this <laughs> advertisement, but it's true. Is you've got the mechanical, the electrical, the software, the automation, and you know, kind of maybe like your goal of I'm going to go to this company just to find a product in a company I want to go to. You know, potentially an engineer coming out of college could say, "Hey, Boston Engineering would be a good place to decide what specific type of engineering they even want to do." Yep. Yeah, and um, we've had a lot of uh, entry-level folks come through um, and some that have stayed with us for uh, long durations. Yep. Um, you know, the uh, shout-out to to Northeastern University and their co-op program. We get um, every semester a, a group of co-ops, and I'm always pleasantly surprised at, uh, you know, how how good these younger engineers are. How many typically? Um, uh, so we usually... At the very least, we get three, okay. but it can be upwards around like six, depending on how busy we are. Um, this coming semester, I got two mechanicals yep. coming in yep. um, that look pretty good. And it's also a good audition you know, process for us sure. as well. There's been a lot of the engineers um, have come on board and been, and, and been full-time additions um, you know, after, after they finish up school. Mm -hmm. One thing I've seen maybe not so much with co-ops that I've worked with, but, you know, just the other employees at uh, the consulting firms that I've been at is they've done really well in their careers. You know, I look through LinkedIn and I see lots of directors and vice presidents and things like that. Have you seen that sort of nature with your A co-ops or B uh, just other employees that may started, you know, early in their career? Yeah, there's actually, it's, it's funny. I, I was on LinkedIn the other day and I, I can't remember the name of the company, but there was a co-op that wasn't from Northeastern. I can't remember where he came to us from, but I think he was in the software controls group okay. and he is now like one of the senior engineers at a propulsion lab. Um, and I think they're affiliated with uh, blue horizon and I'm like, wow, is that the same Kid, I remember like over <laughs> over fifteen years ago. That's yep. now like yep. like a, a senior principal at this at this rocket company. Um, so there are little kids have grown yeah, up. Yeah, yeah. You know, it, it's it's funny. I I have a, a short memory for the co-ops. I remember any any of them that I've had in the past like year or two. But after that, the steep drop off. Right. Usually, HR is gonna say, "Hey, do you see so and so is up and update?" Like, who is that? Like, they were your co-op 15 years ago. And I'm like, they're now like, uh, you know, uh, uh, your level at like their new company. And I'm like, well, it's, it's always good well, to see. There is a, an engineer I know and worked with who should remain nameless. But uh, we were, had a whole bunch of co-ops and everything was very crowded. The company was building and a large percentage of people were sharing cubicles with people. So it's two to a cube was how packed it was. And uh, he had his intern in his cube. Uh, her name was Michelle. And uh, her, her, she they are now married, I guess, to cut to the chase. <laughs> it's like, all right, so going to slap these two people together in very tight space, and things can happen. Yep. And, hey, hey, proximity is a, is a big big component right. of, 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 of falling in love. Yep, so. Exactly, exactly. So That's funny. It's, it's, it's also interesting to see, um, 
sometimes the younger folks bring with them uh, updated approaches, updated tools. Mm, yep. And um, I'm always impressed at how much the mechanical engineers now know uh, code, um, things like Python. Tumbling. Um, or, yeah. E oh, no problem. I'll just jump. I'll just grab a, a Raspberry Pi or I'll grab an Arduino and I'll, I'll get this done and get that done. And, um, you know, it wasn't like that was ever forbidden when I was in yeah. school, but it wasn't as accessible or promoted or cross-pollinated as much as it is today. Or arguably necessary. Yeah, yep. true. Necessary is a good way to put it. Yeah. Now, do you guys have a, uh, a standard plan for new co-ops coming in? You know, we want you to go through this and the other thing and some modest training. Yeah, so we usually have a pretty good uh, onboarding program where... Uh, we have certain people own certain parts of the training to get them through. Right. So get them through sort of like the introduction to lab tools and any lab safety. Um, we have somebody we go through for that, uh, for the CAD tools and setting that up in best practices. Um, I handle a fair amount of that. But the real trick is, um, you know, just policing them the first couple of weeks to make sure like, you know, they're doing things the right way and, right. and catching, catching it early, getting the good habits sort of established. Yep. And, you know, we have, we've, I haven't had that many issues, you know, most of the, most of the, the cause we we've come through have been, have been pretty, pretty good, good, good. you know? So let's, uh, let's turn this back to you a little bit. And so you started as an engineer and now you're a director of engineering. I think that's your title, correct? Mm -hmm. And so a little bit about the, progress from engineer to director and why'd you make the decision? Uh, how much do you try to like to keep your hands dirty? Wow. That's a great question. So I came to Boston engineering. I was like a second level engineer, matriculated up to a uh, principal engineer. And then it wasn't that it was getting old. It was more of, I was like, what's next? What's next from here? Is it, is this it? And I just stay here. And continue with this, which there was really no complaints about that. Sure. But I thought like, you know, well, I don't want to do project management. I could do it, but it doesn't really excite me as much. And um, I think that's a, it's a tough challenge. And I think your heart really needs to be in it for you to be effective at that job. Did you do uh, much project management? No, but what would happen yeah. is a lot of the smaller jobs where maybe Frank was like acting PM. Um, but it was like a smaller mechanical centric job. He's like, listen, he goes, you're talking to the customer daily. Just give me the updates and let me know if you think we're going to get in trouble anywhere. Right. Um, then we would talk weekly and, and about what's up, but he's like, you got this project. So I would do updates with the customer. I'd run meetings, um, and sort of all that, that fun stuff. Um, so that was the closest I got to it. I didn't get, I didn't do any of the schedule updates, yep. but I obviously knew where we were on the schedule and I'd give updates to it. Like, Hey. We're going to go under here. We're going to go over here. Just the stuff that you just learn over time. And then, you know, Frank was always really good, you know, in sort of our one-on-ones reviews of like, hey, these are sort of the paths ahead of you. What do you want to do? You want to get into this? You want to get into that? Never was really much for project management. Wasn't really much into, well, like thought maybe I'll just stay in the technical path. And then he's like, well, there is a third one, you know, which is also the, you know, the, the department side of it. And the more and more we talked about it, I let it sit for a bit. And then after a while, I'm like, you know what? I'd like to give it a shot. So that was like 2018 or so. Um, and it seems like, like 
a year ago in hindsight. It's been, it's been quite a road because the, the thing that was interesting was all the things that I knew would happen in the business that now that I was actually doing and learning about and learning how to do, whether it was management of people or getting more involved in sort of the, the, the forward facing things with, Hey, this is what I think we're going to do next year. This is where I think we should focus and, and uh, our talent. And then also, um, helping to procure work or get work in the door with the, uh, business unit directors and the sales staff, you know, um, this is the proposal process. Let's make sure we're all on the same page, doing all the estimating. How's this job going to work? Where do we think the gotchas are? You know, that stuff fun. It's challenging, you know, um, Sometimes you think you have it and you don't, but it's, 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 if you have a good team together, you know, it's, uh, it's actually, you know, it's a bit fun to think about how are we going to solve this problem, you know? Um, and so was that, it was, it was even a little bit different than just doing the conceptual work. It's like, before you even get the job, how do you think you're going to solve this problem? Right. You know? So that's interesting. It's like my perception is, and I don't think I'm too far off is that a common role to you know, management, you know, such as, you know, director of engineering sort of thing is often going to be through project management as well or through project management. And it seems a little interesting that a, you didn't like project management, which is fine. I'm have, (laughs) I have my issues with it. I like it sometimes. I didn't sometimes, but it's a little interesting to me that you didn't want project management, but you did want, I guess we'll call it people management. Maybe that means you're a people person. I think so. Okay. I think my wife is always, so my wife is a scientist. She's got her degree in neuroscience. Uh, she got her degree at Northeastern and she always thought that engineers were a little bit weird. Um, <laughs> she's like, you're successful because you're, you're an engineer that can talk to people. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it's, you know, I'm like, what perception of engineers that you have? We're not all these crazy weirdos. So I think that's part of it too, yeah. is. I, I like working with the younger folks. I like helping them figure out what they want to do and, and, and set those goals or trying to take these very, uh, qualitative things and make them quantitative. Mm-hmm. Like my goal is I want to become a better engineer. Well, let's break that down to some things we can measure. Right. Um, so that part of it, I still think is enjoyable because I see myself a lot at that age and wish I had a little bit more of someone helping me out. Uh, more than I did probably at my first job. It was very hands-off. The manager would be like, you know, not seen or heard. Just just let, I don't even want to hear when you have a problem. Come to me and tell me the problems you solve, <laughs> right, right? right? So that part of it was good. And uh, I think even in a DM role, I'm still uh, doing management, but technical management. Yep. So, hey, we have a, 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 a project manager. Maybe they don't have expertise or even knowledge in one area. And sometimes um, not just having the engineers to help guide them on the project, but they need someone a little bit more senior uh, to be in there. I'm not doing management, but I'm trying to technically manage like the efforts on there. So maybe there'll just be one voice to talk to the PM versus having a whole team of people to talk to the PM, you know? All right. All right. Let me ask this question. What kind of advice would you... Mike Marcoux give to new engineers starting out? Maybe something beyond what your triple training program is. You know, something with make sure you know this. Oh boy. I, I say this to a lot of engineers. Um, when you're first starting out, don't be afraid to be transient. 
Um, okay. You went somewhere and you're like, I don't think this is quite for me. Try something else. Yep. The best time to do it is early in your career. Um, and this is actually, I'll steal a little bit from, from Frank. If you can't find something you love, find something you like. If you can't find that, find something you can tolerate. <laughs> Because you're going to be doing this for 40 years or so. Right, right. No. All right, so we've mentioned, um, we've mentioned Frank a few times. Uh, just yeah. tell people who he is a little bit. Frank Silvera, VP of uh, Engineering. I've been working with him together for, for 24 years. Yep. And, uh, um, Frank, formerly of Polaroid, which I think he probably put a couple of decades in over there as well. Okay. So so good good advice by Frank. And, and I, I tell a lot of the, the younger engineers, especially the co-ops, um, like they might not. Like, hey, I want to come back to Boston Engineering for my next co-op. I'm like, you have three chances. Go do something completely different um, that maybe you wouldn't even think yeah. about trying. I wish I had that opportunity when I was at WPI. They had a co-op program, but it was like you could do a co-op, right? Yeah. Whereas Northeast was like, no, no, you get three, three at-bats, right? You get up there and you get up shot. Try a big company, small company. Try different sizes. Try different um, industries. You, you, if you can't find what you like, crossing the things off that you don't like is just as important. Yeah. Yep, right. Yep. So, so, you know, I've had engineers say, Hey, you know what? That was great advice. I went to uh, a version of Boston engineering that does, does met device there, uh, consulting. And he goes, this is what really speaks. To me. And now oh, they are there as like a senior engineer. And I'm like, wow, that worked out really great. You know? So then do your co-ops typically only do one session at Boston Engineering or some come back for multiple? We've had, we've had some come back and do two, okay. you know, and then we've had some come back and say like, listen, uh, I don't have plans over the summer. Can I extend it for the next couple months yeah. until I have to go back to school? I'm yeah. like, absolutely. Now was that, refresh my memory, was that trying new things? Is that what Boston Engineering suggests? Or is that what Northeastern suggests or a little of both? That's usually what I suggest. Okay. <laughs> um, yeah, fair enough. I think, I think they kind of, they figured it out too. Yeah. Some people are like really, I'm really into uh, aerospace. I want to get into an aerospace company, um, and then maybe they try to like maybe aerospace isn't what I thought it was going to be. Yep. And that's where you start to see them. You know, I went to Boston Engineering because I wasn't sure what to do, and I really like this. Tell me more. Frank does a um, uh, sort of yeah. a, a meeting with a, a presentation of like why consulting. Why would consulting speak to you? What What are the advantages over? being at like a product type company, yep, yep. right? Um, and then there's, there's plus and minuses. It's not for everybody. You know, you, you're never really doing the same thing over and over, but there's nothing wrong with companies that do, right? right? Th those, those jobs speak to people and speak to a lot of people because a lot of people do those jobs. Yep. Um, so it's not about what's right or wrong. It's like, where do you kind of feel good, yep. you know, uh, work? Yep. All right, excellent. So let's go... Off engineering. What do you do for fun? When you go oh, home? Oh, boy. Oh, so just recently, um, this past summer, my wife and I have gotten into uh, autocross. Autocross, so, okay. Autocross is, um, we had a friend that uh, saw a group that was doing it at um, the Fort Devens um, uh, Air Base. Okay. So out by air. Um, out my way. There's. Yeah, uh, there's there's an entrance uh, you can get into. That's the old uh, airfield for Devons. Um, that I think the state police owns, and they run a driving course there for all their okay. uh, cadets and for other uh, police forces. 
So there's a couple different car groups in the New England area. They set up a track of cones and it's basically time trials. How fast can you get through the course with the least amount of penalties? Um, she was away one weekend visiting her mom. She's like, you know what? You should go and do it on Sunday. I did it. And I was like, all right, we're going to, we, we got to do more of this. So we did it, uh, five or six times this year so and it was a lot of fun. She does it with you. Yeah. So she, uh, my wife, uh, uh, had her loans forgiven finally and had some money. So she bought a car that she really loves. Um, it's a little bit sportier car. Yeah. It's only a Hyundai, but, um, she loves it. And, uh, so she started doing it as well. Um, started learning more, started asking for more car parts, um, for Christmas. This is my wife asking for go. car parts. And, um, so I'm not going to complain. I'm going to lead into this one. <laughs> I'm right there with you. Fully supporting. No, I, I discovered that, uh, they do that out at the air. It's an old military base, which is now sort of a neighborhood and, uh, there's a bunch of companies, a little bit of a industrial park there as well. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's, um, I think my, so I enlisted in the army right after high school to help pay for college. Okay. Uh, I was only in for a year. They couldn't get me a slot for basic, so they they let me go. But my old barracks at Port Devens is now um, a company. Okay. And one of the places down the street was uh, another, uh, a friend of mine was in a unit down there. That's now like a, a Parker, um, uh, they make bows there. Okay. And I'm like, yeah. And I'm like, wow, like who would have thought? Yep. Drive through there. It's like, I remember going here in 91 for drill and now it's like all these companies yeah I do hotels a few hotels there as well yeah so how often do you do that handful of times per summer or so i think the the most we'll probably do is a half dozen but you can i think you could do it almost every weekend if you wanted to starting usually around um april may and it goes okay. all the way to october yeah i, I discovered that oh, i was looking for something my son would be interested in Honestly, I'm not sure I told him about it. Shame on me, bad daddy. But now that you've reminded me of it, I will uh, post haste, make sure he's aware of it, and something he can think about doing uh, this summer. Is he's uh, he's eight, and I, he's eighteen, he's, 18. he's a senior. He's uh, really interested in finding some sort of car. And uh, who was it? <laughs> One of his brothers gave him a T-shirt for his birthday. It says, uh, "I spend my time. I think about cars." I look at the cars online. I shop for cars. I shop for cars. Just like six different things related to cars. Which may not 100% accurate, but uh, about 90%. About 90%. So, oh, man. Uh, the good thing about autocross is you don't need like uh, a super fast car. Right. Cars that do well are the ones with the best power to weight and um, uh, the ones that have the best handling. So you see a lot of uh, Miatas of all things oh, yeah? do okay. really well. Um, and then there's uh, a couple other styles of uh, cars that do fairly well, but they're pretty ubiquitous with with autocross. You see yeah. them everywhere. So what are you driving? So I'm driving a 2018 uh, Volkswagen Golf R. Okay. So sort of it's, um, yeah, it's it's all wheel drive. It's got a pretty uh, peppy engine. Um, handles really well. Uh, my wife has a uh, 2023 Hyundai Veloster N. Oh, those are fun. Uh, yeah, fun. It's got a nice limited slip differential, so that thing corners like a dream. But there's been some guys that come through with, uh, uh, let's see, some guy had a brand new 
uh, Nissan NSX, and those are uh, super fun, super expensive, but they're also a hybrid. Um, Nissan or Acura? Uh, 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 Acura. Acura. Sorry, oh, right, yeah. right. Acura NSX. Sorry to be an engineer um, on you. No, oh, no, perfect. <laughs> Thanks for calling me. My wife would have hung me on that one. Um, dual electric motors, and it has a traditional uh, ICE engine. Yep. So it does uh, the power band balancing to give you like a, a good constant torque profile. Yeah, those are nice cars. Um, yeah, and apparently they use the same system on their SUV. Okay. Except the difference is on the NSX, they put the electrics on the front wheels and the ice is on the rear. Okay. And, or, or it can balance between the two. And then I think for the SUV, the electrics are in the back. Okay. But now, do you, you and your wife car swap or do you stick to your own car? You know, it's funny. I've driven her car. So, quick story. I had to get ankle surgery uh, some years ago, and I was driving a Subaru WRX that was standard. And she's like, well, you got one for the surgery on your left leg. You know, why don't you trade in and get a, get a car that's automatic that I can borrow, but also you can drive after your surgery. I'm like, she's like, get whatever you want. So I traded in the Subaru for the Volkswagen. And then some years later, um, Toyota announced they were coming out with the GR Corolla, which was the sportier version oh, of yeah. the Corolla with the 300 horsepower, three cylinder engine. She had her heart set on getting one, but then the dealership started marking it up. So she's like, I'm going to start looking for something else. But she's like, that car only comes in standard. So she started taking lessons on oh, how to drive nice. step. So she, her Veloster is, is standard. So whenever I want, I want my manual fix, I'll borrow her car to go do something. Um, it'd be like, I'm glad I don't have to drive this in traffic anymore, right. but it's still fun to get out there and drive manual. Yeah. It, it's a little surprising to me that Corolla took so long to come up with a competitor to the Civic Si. Yes. And yes. I actually owned the very first Civic Si back in 1989. No kidding. Yeah, I think the head was like, uh, it was just like the S the year before, which a friend had, and then they came out with the SI a year later, and he had just bought like the 88 S, which was the sportiest, and then they had the SI, which was yep. a little bit sporty. I don't know the exact details, but he was he was a little envious of me. And uh, there's I, I someone in our car. neighborhood. I love that car. Oh, there's 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 still one. There's a SI that we see around every once in a while that someone did really nice. It's like all jet black, um, just really nice looking. And then there's a red Type R in our neighborhood that okay. we see, see every once in a while. Um, there's two guys on to do autocross that have those cars. I drove in one of them for a couple laps. Can't believe how well the thing performs oh, and man. how well it like accelerates in corners. Yeah. They did a really good job. So I was uh, working at this guy's house. Well, it's his business in his house, kind of in the woods in Charlton, just walking down the street and saw a really, you know, my body style, uh, Civic SI, just in his yard, given up to the gods of nature. And there's just the, the, you know, the happiness of seeing it. This is the sadness of seeing it poor, treated yeah. so poorly. So, oh, my God. How and, could uh, you do this? <laughs> yeah. right, exactly. All right. So we are about wrapping up here. I have, I think, uh, just one question. We have the grab sure. bag question. Where I just ask some random question of you, and uh, you give me a number, and um, you get that question. And since I think I'm like four out of six, and at given number seven, 
I'm going to say you have from 1 to 11, but you can't pick 7. 1 to 11. Let's go with 3. Number 3. All right. What is something that your parents did that you did not like that you now do? Wow. That's heavy. Um, <laughs> it doesn't have to be that heavy. It could be pretty simple. No, it's funny because <laughs> I'm sure I've caught myself uh, uh, emulating some of their their behavior now that I'm I'm a bit older. But um... well, while you think, I'll share some of mine and some that my uh, siblings shared. Is that I remember Mom? I hated it when she would kind of like sneak some wheat flour into whatever it is she was baking. Like, oh, Mom, just leave it out. I want white bread. And what do I do now? I always put in a little bit of wheat flour, so slightly healthier. <laughs> and uh, I think my brother had a good one. He was just always amazed at why it took mom 15 minutes to say goodbye to somebody at the door. And then, just say goodbye and close the door. What's the big deal? And it's like, so now he does the same thing. <laughs> wow. So, all right. So um, I've got to grease the wheels a little bit for you. I, you know what? I'll say this. Uh, Probably not a big phone person. Like I, yeah. I never, parents never really talked to them all that much on the phone when I was like finally old enough in a way. And uh, I find myself now like I probably don't just call my my sister, or my dad as much as I should. Yeah. Um, I think they call me more than I call them. You know. Um, but my dad, he's eighty five. He just started texting. So oh, cool. Uh, there's hope. <laughs> Well, my, uh, my dad passed away last year, and he had, you know, him and mom lived in the same house since, like, 57, I think. Same phone number. Transfer the phone number from the house to his cell phone. And now that he's passed away, I now have that cell phone number. My son has it. Get out of so here. His, uh, so dad was Richard. My son's middle name is Richard. So that phone belonged to a Richard Ushold for, well, it's like, Pushing 70 years now, and we'll see how many more years it'll last before it disappears. So I thought that's pretty cool. I was, uh, I don't know, I've got that, uh, I don't know, the tide of the past. I like things like that. And yep. So yep. my son has. No, that's really cool. My son has my dad's old phone number. <laughs> so. That's great. All right. Well, I will give you the last word. Anything uh, you want to add? To our conversation. No, I was. Uh, this was great to do this. Um, you definitely need to rope Frank into doing this next. All right. All right. Well, maybe not next. I'm trying to mix things up a little bit. You know. Oh, definitely. I, I think my, my youngest guest so far has been like probably 53, if that. <laughs> and uh, well, I broke it. I'm 50. So 50. there you go. Right, very good. Well, I'm going to crush it tomorrow. I got my my nephew who just graduated from engineering school. I'm going to have him on tomorrow. Oh, that's great. So, that's great. Uh, I have. Uh, my youngest nephew is at Northeastern, just started this year as a chemical engineer. All right. Excellent. Excellent. Yeah. Well, Mike, this has been a lot of fun. Thanks again this for your great. time. And uh, we'll see Anytime. you again soon. Bye-bye. All right. That wraps up today's episode of the Beers with Engineers podcast. Thank you for listening, and I hope you enjoyed it. Please remember to like, subscribe, give a rating, and most importantly, tell your friends whether they are an engineer or not. I'm happy to have them listen. Any comments and suggestions are welcomed and encouraged. If you would like to be a guest on the podcast or know somebody that you think might be a good guest on the podcast, please let us know that too. Until next time, this is Bert saying goodbye.